0: at the grace of God. And as we're here this morning to remember that, I appreciated Claire's opening thoughts on remembering as well. Today in Canada, well, it's probably tomorrow because today is a Sunday, but there's a holiday it's called Remembrance Day. And it is in remembrance of World War One. And almost to the hour right now, the 11th hour, the 11th day of the 11th month, 100 years ago, a group of men met in a train car in Europe to sign the end of World War One. 11 o'clock on November 11th of 1918. 100 years ago, right now. 35 years later, that same train car a group of men met in that train car again to sign some papers. But this time, the roles were reversed, and it was Germany was asking for the surrender of France. The exact same train car Adolf Hitler had pulled to a location so they could sign surrender papers again, but this time, totally opposite sides signing the papers. Hitler had that car taken back to Berlin, And when he saw the end was getting close, the Allies were closing in from one side and Russia closing in from the other side, he had that train car burned. He did not want anyone to remember. And today we are here to remember. The world can burn what they want, but we are here to remember what Jesus has done for us. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. As we remember what Jesus has done for us, we closely associate the Jewish Passover with communion. And we we rightly do that. When Jesus instituted communion, he told the disciples, do this in remembrance of me. As we do this in remembrance of him, as Jesus instituted that first communion, it was over the time of Passover. Passover. I'd like to look at the Passover this morning and draw some important parallels between the Passover that the Jews commemorate and they celebrate from the time of the Bible all the way up to today and look at some significant ways that Jesus finished and fulfilled that work and some parallels. I did some studying into the culture and the history of, of the Passover and I found some remarkable parallels that I don't believe are coincidence. So let's look at the first Passover in Exodus chapter 12. If you could just have your Bibles open there and just as I go through here, I'll let you kind of skim over and look. I'll point out a few verses. It's 28 verses where God institutes the first Passover, And I'd, I don't think I'll take the time to read every verse. But Moses and Aaron had been battling with Pharaoh for I don't know what the length of time was here in an attempt to let... You, you know how he went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, an attempt to, to get the Israelites out of Egypt. There had been nine plagues that God had sent on Egypt up to this time that had only affected... The Egyptians, the Israelites in the land of Goshen there in Egypt had been, they had been spared these plagues. There had been flies, lice, frogs, and you can probably list the rest. But God told them, look at verse 12 of chapter 12 For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. This last, this tenth and last plague would affect everyone. Not just the Egyptians, but the people of Israel as well. God said, I'm coming through. The angel of death is coming through and every firstborn is going to die. Whether it's a person or an animal, doesn't matter what it is. Every firstborn is going to die. It was completely impartial. It would strike the Egyptians and the Jewish homes alike. But God spoke to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, and he said, There is a way for you to avoid this angel of death that is coming. There is a way. God said, I'm going to give you some instructions how you can avoid this angel of death. Follow these to the letter. In fact, he said it is so important. Look at verse 14. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord through your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. And now in verse 24. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. These instructions that God had for them were so important. He said, I'm not just telling you this once. This is so important. I want you to keep it forever. He told them twice. This is a memorial for you to keep forever. And here's very briefly what these instructions were, how they could avoid this angel of death. Verse three. Exodus 12, verse three. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month, I will take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers. A lamb for an house. On the tenth day of the month, I want you to remember that it's significant. The tenth day of the, this is the first month of the year. The tenth day, take a lamb, every household, take a lamb. One year old, and this lamb has to be perfect. Now look at verse 6. And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. The fourteenth day of the month, four days later. I want you to remember that. That's significant as well. The tenth day they choose the lamb. The fourteenth day is when they are supposed to kill this lamb. And they take the blood... And they strike it or brush it on the doorposts of their house. Of the house where the lamb is to be eaten. That night, when the angel of death comes to the land, they will see that blood. The angel will see that blood on the house and he will know to pass over that house. That's where the term Passover comes from. Now, I say this carefully, but sometimes I think the idea of types and shadows can be taken a little bit far, in my opinion. But I also don't believe in coincidences. I believe God has things in the Bible for a reason. So the first thing I would like to point out, the first parallel here, that I don't believe is coincidence... I don't know if you can see that, but that is a door with the blood on the door sides and across the top. That's what they were supposed to do with this blood from this lamb. That forms the eighth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And that letter means life. It carries with it the connotation of life. I don't believe that's a coincidence that God did that when the angel of death passes over the land of Egypt and he looks down and he sees the blood he knows the price has been paid the sacrifice is done and he sees the symbol of life and he passes over that house no one was to leave that house that night that the angel of death would come any anyone found outside of that house any firstborn found outside of the blood would be killed. The people of Israel realized the significance of this. They realized the importance of it. In verse 27, it says, They bowed their head and they worshiped. And I know I'm not doing it justice in describing all the fine details of what the Passover was. There's so much more that God had told them to do, but this is the basis of what it was. There was a lamb. Chosen on the 10th day of the month, sacrificed on the 14th day of the month. It was killed and its blood was put on the door posts of their house. So that when the angel of death passed over, he would see. So now let's move forward to the time of Jesus. I'd like to look at how Jesus fulfilled that Passover sacrifice. I think three-point sermons are important. And so I've doubled that number this morning. They say people don't remember beyond three, but I'm hoping you can remember six this morning. The first point is a question. Why is the blood important? Jesus was the perfect lamb. We know that. We understand it and we've heard it. But I want you to understand this morning how Jesus is that lamb. And I know as I was speaking already, you you were drawing symbols and parallels that we've been taught. You were doing that in your head and I appreciate that. But Jesus was sacrificed for us as we apply that blood to the doorposts of our heart. We are saved from death. That's the first and probably the simplest, most straightforward parallel we can draw. In the Old Testament, this Passover lamb was killed publicly. It was killed publicly. Publicly, but the blood was applied personally to each doorstep or door post. Much of Christianity today would say, Jesus, the Lamb, they'd agree with that. He was killed for us, they agree with that. Because of that, I'm saved. Wrong. Just because Jesus died doesn't mean you're saved. That has to be applied personally to your heart. It has to be applied consciously and deliberately and most importantly, willingly on your part. It takes a choice on your part and on my part to apply that blood to the doorposts of our heart. As I was studying this, Well, I've been looking at it for several weeks, but yesterday, all day long, turn with me in the Christian hymnal. I'd like to sing number 307, the song, When I See the Blood, I Will Pass Over You, was going through my mind. And as we sing this, I want you to consider, imagine that angel of death coming, looking at every heart, looking at the doorposts and the top of the door of your heart. When he sees the blood, he will pass over you. If you're able to, let's stand and sing this song.
1: Christ, the Redeemer, died on the cross, died for the sin. pass, will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Cheapest of sinners, can as he has promised so
0: That is why the blood is significant. The second point is there was a lamb. This lamb had to be perfect. It had to be flawless. It couldn't be lame. It couldn't have little spots. It couldn't have a disease of any kind. It could have no... Defects at all. Where did all of these perfect lambs come from? History tells us there was one place in Israel where these perfect lambs would come from. People would give their perfect lambs to this one place and shepherds would raise these lambs in this one specific Place in Israel, and it wasn't Jerusalem, it wasn't Nazareth, it wasn't some well known large city of commerce. These perfect lambs, specifically meant for the Passover, were raised in Bethlehem. Special fields outside of the city of Bethlehem, five miles south of Jerusalem, were filled with pure. Spotless lambs. They were separated from the rest of the lambs so they wouldn't mix and become defiled or hurt or sick. These spotless lambs from Bethlehem had regular men as shepherds watching them, guarding them, raising them. And I'm just throwing this out there for you. Do you think That could be who the angels came to the night Jesus was born. The perfect lambs, the shepherds watching these Passover lambs just outside of Bethlehem. The Bible doesn't tell us. History doesn't tell us. I believe it's possible that the angels came. We know they came to the fields outside Bethlehem and we know there were Passover sheep being raised spotless. Passover lambs being raised in these fields. The name Bethlehem is two Hebrew words that literally means house of bread. And again, I don't think this is coincidence that Jesus, who claimed four times in John chapter 6 to be the bread of life, I don't think it's coincidence that he came from the town that's called the house of bread. Jesus, the bread of life. The perfect spotless lamb of God was born where the spotless Passover lambs come from. These perfect lambs used in the Passover had to be selected by someone. There was household sacrifices each household did a, a sacrifice of a passover lamb but there was a national lamb that was chosen for the for the nation of Israel for the people for this national lamb only the high priest or someone in his lineage could select it was his duty and his right to select this perfect lamb He would make the five-mile trek from Jerusalem to the fields outside of Bethlehem and select a perfect lamb, either the high priest or someone in his family, would make that five-mile journey out of the eastern gate of Jerusalem down to Bethlehem, and he would select a spotless lamb, and then he would bring it back to Jerusalem. We know that Jesus was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. But who selected him? Who announced him? Who had the right to announce Jesus as the perfect and spotless Lamb of God? Who would have that right to do that? In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, the son in the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest. His wife, Elizabeth, was a direct descendant of Aaron, which would make their son, John the Baptist, a direct descendant of Aaron. Who better qualified to say, behold the Lamb of God, to announce and to select this spotless Lamb, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the world. Two times in John chapter 1, verse 29, and in verse 36, John says, Behold the Lamb of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. I'd like to look at the timing of the Passover. We established earlier in Exodus 12 that the Passover was to begin on the 10th day of the month. This is when that perfect lamb was selected. Now, I know some of you have been to Israel and can picture this better than I can. Someday I hope to be able to do this. But I want you to try to picture this in your mind. This is the time of Passover. Thousands and thousands of people have flocked to this city with their lambs to have this, their perfect lamb sacrificed. Sacrificed. The high priest, we we know, is going to make that journey to Bethlehem and select the lamb. He's going to bring it back, and he is going to have this perfect lamb on display for inspection from the 10th, and remember we said the 14th day is what God established was the day that it was to be killed, four days later. So the roads in this city are jammed. Imagine the noise of all these people. Thousands and thousands of lambs being prepared to be offered. I can imagine the city is turned upside down with people. In the middle of all of this is when Jesus comes to Jerusalem. And Matthew 21 gives one of the gospel accounts of Jesus and his, what we've come to call his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on also what we have called Palm Sunday. So Matthew 21, verse 6, Jesus had just told his disciples to go and bring back this colt. Go in and ask, you'll find a colt tied, bring it back. This is what I'm going to ride into Jerusalem on. So Matthew 21, verse 6, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And he brought the ass and the colt and put put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strad them in the way. Are you picturing this? And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, the city was moved saying, Who is this? Can you picture this in your mind? Jesus is coming. You picture it from a a storybook probably. Jesus is riding on this donkey. He's coming into Jerusalem and there's people all over and there are huge crowds of people. It says a multitude and they're cheering and they're praising God. Did you ever wonder how the people knew to be at this gate at this time on this day right now? How did they know to be here? Jesus was at the height of his popularity at this point, I think, so that would be part of it. But they didn't have cell phones where you could call and say, hey, Jesus is coming, head to the gate and watch, he's coming. I don't think it was that easy. Jesus was just coming from Bethany. And in John, if you, if you look at the timeline in John, it says this was the tenth day of the month. That Jesus is entering Jerusalem. It's four days before the Passover. The high priest is just coming back from Bethlehem. He's carrying that lamb on his shoulders and he had just come through the eastern gate. He's carrying this perfect lamb. And history and culture would tell us this this did happen. He would come through here and the people would line the streets to see this perfect lamb, this Passover lamb for the nation. And again, I don't believe this is coincidence. That the perfect Lamb of God is coming through the same gate on the same day. And that's why all these people are here. They're watching for the perfect Lamb of God who is chosen on the tenth day of the month, four days before Passover. Do you see the significance in this? This background in history, to me, sheds another light on what Jesus was going through on this day. John had declared and he he had announced Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. This was three years earlier, roughly three years earlier, when John had proclaimed Jesus as the Lamb of God. But now these people are lining the streets, a multitude of people, And Jesus is coming through the gates four days before Passover, the day that the perfect spotless lamb was to be chosen. And unknowingly, they chose their Passover lamb. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem not just as a lamb that the priest had on his shoulders, but as the lamb of God, the spotless lamb of God for the world. On the same day, that the high priest made his selection. The people also made their selection. Now turn with me to John chapter 18. I'd like to look at the inspection of the lamb. There was four days from the 10th of the month to the 14th day of the month that this lamb was to be inspected for perfection. Perfection. For any flaws that might be there, this lamb was brought into Jerusalem. Jesus, the lamb of God, had been selected as he came into Jerusalem. If you read through, especially the gospel of Matthew, with this in mind, he is thoroughly inspected between his triumphal entry and his death. I skimmed through those chapters and what he went through is incredible. The grilling he got from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and and everybody, they're trying to trip him up, trying to trap him. They questioned him on paying taxes, on the greatest commandment about marriage after death, they questioned him about the woman who washed his feet, trying to find fault in what he had what he had said but i i love the responses of jesus as he goes through here the wisdom that he responds to these people with many many times condemned them he he condemns his questioners with his answers so jesus is inspected the lamb for the nation that the high priest had brought in was at the temple being inspected And finally, just before the Passover, the inspection was complete. And the high priest would declare this lamb perfect and ready to die. This was the 14th day of the month, four days after he was brought into the city. John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find no fault at all. Turn the page to John 19, verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. They looked and they tried to find a fault, they tried to find a flaw. And Pilate says, I find no fault in him. He is perfect. The perfect Lamb of God. Everyone who inspected Jesus, who tried him, who tempted him, who tested him, had to come away. Saying, we we find no fault. We can't find anything wrong. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Now the death of the Lamb according to Exodus and again in Leviticus, it says, On the fourteenth day of the month was the beginning of the Passover when the Lamb was to be sacrificed. These days all line up. The tenth day is when Jesus came in, four days before. The fourteenth day is when Jesus was sacrificed. Mark 15, 25 says, And it was the third hour and they crucified him. The third hour was at nine o'clock in the morning. The temple, at this time was crowded, was filled with people bringing their lambs to be offered. They were offered in a public setting. Jesus hung on the cross in the third hour. Nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus was hanging on the cross and the priests were busy, busily about their work in the temple. And they had a system. They would kill the lamb. They would catch the blood in a, a pit or a basin or a container. And they had an assembly line. They would pass it from one priest to the next down the line until they came to the altar and they would pour the blood on the altar. All of this was going on from the third hour to the ninth hour. Nine o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon. Lamb after lamb after lamb. Animal after animal was being offered and sacrificed as Jesus is hanging on the cross. As they were doing this, these priests and the Levites, those helping, would be singing the Halal Psalms. Which is Psalm 113 to 118. They would be singing these these psalms. Read those psalms sometime as you consider what they are doing, what Jesus is doing at this time, and what they are singing. They're singing things like this. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what men can do unto me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is what they're singing as they're offering these lambs and as Jesus is hanging on the cross. Can you imagine these priests singing this? The people joining in singing this as Jesus is hanging on the cross. And I don't know how far away it was. I've never been there. Do you think Jesus could hear this noise, could hear this singing from where he was? Turn to Matthew twenty seven, Matthew twenty seven, verse forty five. In the days of the temple, the daily evening sacrifice took place at the ninth hour. During the Passover, the Passover lamb of the nation was sacrificed at the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama slobachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come and save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Do you see the significance? The ninth hour, this Passover lamb of the nation was sacrificed. About the ninth hour it says, why, why does Matthew include these specific times? I don't think it's by accident. He's writing to a Jewish people that understood this. About the ninth hour, it says Jesus died. When this perfect Lamb of God died, the veil in the temple, it says it was rent. It's a curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies where the presence of God Dwelt. And when we think of a curtain, we think of a bedsheet or a quilt or something. This curtain was nine inches thick. It couldn't be a trick. There's only one way this could rip, and that is the hand of God. Joe Amaral has some insight on this. He says, In Bible times and even now, when a Jewish father will lose. His son, when his firstborn son will die, he will tear his clothes in grief. And it's just an interesting thought he throws in in here. He says, When the temple veil tore, God had just torn his robe because his son died. He said, We now have access to the Holy of Holies, to the heart of God, to the presence of God, because his son died. because Jesus willingly gave his life, we now have free access to God. And I know I've, you use your imagination there a little bit, but I just I can't fathom what that was. This was a sacred, sacred place. The high priest was allowed in the Holy of Holies once a year. And now suddenly it is wide open. What are they supposed to do with this? So how does this apply to your life and to my life? We don't observe the Passover. We observe communion. We remember what Jesus has done for us. The Bible clearly says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The price for my salvation and for your salvation had to be blood. It had to be death. That is the only way. There's, there's no question about that as you look through the Bible. Hebrews also says very clearly that the blood of animals was not enough. Every single year, thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of animal blood was offered and the best it could do was cover the sins until the next year. Animal blood isn't good enough. Well, surely we're better than animals. True, we are, but your blood wouldn't be good enough. My blood wouldn't be good enough. Nobody's blood is good enough except the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God. It took the blood of the perfect Son of God, and not just a little bit of blood. Not that he, you know, when you donate blood, you stick the syringe in and you give a pint and you're good to go. It's not like that. It took enough blood that it killed him. And it wasn't a gentle death where he just drifted off. It was violent. It was a savage death. And so, as I was studying, I thought, well, how do we know? How do we know that this was enough? We know our blood isn't enough. We know the blood of animals isn't enough. How do we know that the blood of Jesus is enough? What if it isn't? We know it is. Because three days later, he rose from the dead. When Jesus rose... That is the father saying, the price is good. That, that's enough. That took care of the problem. The price was accepted by God. Now the choice is up to us. We know what's been done, but what are we going to do with it? So the question is this, have you applied that blood to the doorposts of your heart? What will God do when he sees your heart? Will he pass over it? We need to remember that as long as we have this blood applied to the doorpost of our heart, of our life, the destroyer cannot and will not come in. As long as you have that blood applied. But until we begin to understand the significance of what Jesus did, he was the only way. It's not like if he, if he backed out, God could come up with another. He couldn't. It's one way. Until we begin to understand this, I don't think we'll fully appreciate it. And I, I also don't think we will fully appreciate it as long as we're here on earth. But as we remember Jesus and what he did today, I'd like to think about a few things quickly here. And these are the things I'm thinking about. I like to think about how unworthy I am. It seems like we we should have to do something to earn the love of God or to earn his salvation, to earn this right for him that he would pass over us when he sees the blood. That we should have to do something, but you know anything we try to do I think would be an insult to him where he would look and say, "You think that's going to earn my love?" whatever you're trying, you think that's enough? It says our righteousness is as filthy rags. It wouldn't even begin to scratch the surface of the debt we owe on our sinful state. And I think Jesus realizes this. I know he realizes this. He, is the, he realizes he's the only payment worthy to pay the debt that we owe. Another thing I'm thinking about is how he loves me despite my many failures. Yes, I have applied the blood to the doorposts of my heart. I have. But I fail. I still fail. I still do wrong things. I have wrong thoughts. I have wrong responses. I still do. But that's not enough. God doesn't write me off because of that. And the other thing I was thinking of is, I have no doubt that if I was the only person on Earth that Jesus still would have come, and he, I'm sure he would have died for me. I know he would have. When you look at it that way, it, it could almost make sense that he would come and die for everyone who ever was and ever will be, knowing that they would all turn to Him 100 percent and follow him and love God. That I can understand. But Jesus came and he died for all of us and he knew that the vast majority of the world would reject him and he knew that those of us who have accepted him would disappoint him over and over again. He still did it. This morning, if we are seeing clearly, we will be thankful for the blood and for the price that was paid And I am humbled this morning at the price that was paid for my freedom and for our freedom. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you most of all for your Son. We thank you for what he has done for us pray that you will forgive our pride and our arrogance as we remember the price that was paid for us today. I pray that you will humble us and help us to be a thankful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.